Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Bibles to the book of Esther tonight. And tonight I'm going to be speaking to you about the attributes of royalty. We began this teaching on the attributes of royalty this week, and I want us to look at the when the king offers the golden scepter to us, when he stretches out his scepter to us. Tonight I'm going to be speaking to you about your platform and your purpose and the responsibilities of royalty that God has for us. We're going to be speaking today about goals for greatness. When you say goals for greatness, what do you mean? I'm not talking about becoming great in the sight of the world. I'm talking about being great in the kingdom. When you say goals for greatness, Dr. Corral, what do you speak about? Well, let's go for a moment to Exodus before we look at our text in Exodus chapter 2. And let us look at Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to look, beloved saints, at verse 11. And when you have it, say amen. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, let us look as we see the word of the living God. The Bible says in Exodus 2, 11, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren, and he looked on his brethren, and the Bible says, and he looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian, a Hebrew, um, smiting one of his brethren. Now, the very first thing that we see that is unusual about this verse is that we have the use of brethren twice. And why is the Bible telling us that Moses went out to his brethren and that he saw an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. We already know that the, um, the persons that are being spoken about in the scripture are his brethren. Yet we see the scripture emphasizing twice his brethren. Because the scripture wants us to see that Moses has this ability to identify with the suffering of his people. That's number one. His brethren, the scripture is showing us the reason why he is going to be exalted into a place of leadership. You see, the Bible never, I have never found in the Bible where an individual is put into a place of leadership where there is the exaltation, um, the qualifications for exaltation into destiny not being spoken. Because this is a resume. This is the biblical resume that the scripture is using that is going to qualify Moses for greatness. Number one, how do you know, Dr. Corral, that the Bible is specifically speaking about greatness? Number one, look at this word grown. When Moses was grown, 
This is the exact same spelling in Hebrew. This is the word gadol. And we see that there is another word in Hebrew that has the very same spelling as gadol. And that is gadol. The word gadol means great. The word gadol means the greatest you can get. So the scripture is actually showing us not just when Moses was grown, not just when Moses was grown, because gadol means great. Can you say this with me? Gadol means great. So the scripture is not just showing us here when Moses was grown chronologically. What the scripture is using, remember, every word in the Bible has been selected by heaven. These are not accidental words that, we, that, that the authors of scripture put on paper. They were not just trying to communicate concepts. I want you to understand we do not read the Bible like a newspaper. This is not written so we know it happened. Everything in the Bible is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. And God wants us to know that even the selection of words that were chosen on the pages of Scripture are words that heaven chose to communicate what God wants to give to every generation to instruct us. So those that God is calling into places of purpose, say it with me, places of purpose, that we must understand the reason for those platforms of purpose. And this is what we are going to share with you tonight. I want you to understand that God is about to extend the scepter of influence to many of his people. But there is no way that that scepter can be extended by heaven until we understand the reason for purpose, the reason why God gives us a platform, the reason why God extends influence to us. And we see here in this biblical resume that scripture is presenting to us concerning Moses. First of all, we are looking and we are seeing this word grown. This word grown is not just a word that was selected to tell us his chronological development. This is a word that shows us when he became great because the word grown in Hebrew and the word great are spelled the same. There is just a difference in the, in the, um, in the phonetic pronunciation. So the Bible is saying when he became great. Can you say that with me? When he became great. That means when he came to the place that qualified him for destiny. When he came to the place that God was getting ready to open every door for him. I want you to see when he became great. This means when God selected him to be the one to deliver Israel out of Egypt. This was the determining factor. I want you to know that. You say, Dr. Corral, how do you know that? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 11. Go with me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 11. And then we will explain to you how Moses became great. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 verses, uh, looking at verses 24 and 25. I will turn to it very quickly as we see in the word of God. And the Bible is going to tell us by faith what Moses did. And here we see in verse 25. The Bible says, beginning, beginning in verse 24, but verse 25 is very important. Notice, 
by faith, Moses, when he was come to years. Notice this is exactly a reference. It is a direct connect to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 that we just read. Because we just read the phrase, when Moses was grown. Right? All right. So another way of saying when Moses was grown is when Moses was come to years. Correct? Okay. And we saw the Hebrew secret in the word grown, didn't we? We saw that the secret of he in the Hebrew word of grown is great, isn't it? Okay. So grown in the eyes of God is not just somebody who's developed and gone to another uh, age. Not just chronological growth. Grown means when they've reached that place that it qualifies them for destiny. Now, the scripture says, by faith, when Moses, when Moses was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Where does that, where do we find that in the scripture? Do we see a scripture that says Moses goes to Batia, his mother that he thinks is his mother, his real mother is Yochavet. But when he goes to Batia and says to her, uh, you're not my mother anymore. No, we don't see that. We only see that in the Ten Commandments. Okay, in the movie. We don't see that in the Bible. But yet, Hebrews is telling us something we didn't see in Exodus. Hebrews is telling us something deeper than what we saw in Exodus. It was at that very moment when Moses made the decision for destiny. Put your hand up right now and say, God, in 2022, I want to be careful that every decision that I make is a decision for destiny. Because you see, people, we are at a place right now. We are at a turning point right now. We cannot be held back any further. We are ready to go up and to take the territory that God has ordained in our life. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. All right. So we don't see a scripture in the book of Exodus where Moses goes to his uh, mother, which is the, the daughter of Pharaoh, not his blood mother, but the one who raised him, saying, you're not my mother. Yet Hebrews is telling us that he made this decision to be, to refuse, to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter. So we must understand when did this happen? It happened when he went out to see his brethren, when he went out to the slave pits, when he saw their suffering, when he identified with them, when he became one with them. Are you with me, saints? And where are we going with this? We are going with this because we need to understand why God gives platforms. We need to understand why God gives influence. We need to understand what the Bible teaches us about destiny. Say this with me. Destiny is not about me. Say this with me. Destiny is about being a blessing for someone else. God gives us a platform so that we might use it for others. And so here we see that the Bible is showing us that when Moses was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, wait a minute. Do we see any scriptures in the book of Exodus that shows us Moses enjoying the pleasures of sin? No, we do not. 
Yet the writer of Hebrews is telling us what went on at that moment when he saw the Egyptians smiting the Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is giving us insight to the thoughts of Moses, to the decision process of Moses. Watch, you get to see from Scripture how Moses thinks. Wow. How does Moses think? What goes on in his mind? Does God look at thoughts? Does God see what, go, what goes on in the hearts of men? Does God know what we're thinking? And do our thoughts contribute to that platform that God wants to give us for influence when God extends the scepter of influence to us? The answer to that is obviously yes. Because the writer of Hebrews is telling us what went on in Moses' brain. What went on in his thoughts. That he made a decision when he saw uh, an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. And he made that decision right there. I am no longer associated with this system. I am no longer a part of a system that oppresses other human beings. I am not going to use my influence as the prince of Egypt to add to the suffering of these people that are my people. I would rather have no land. I would rather have no nothing behind me. I would rather have nothing than to be part of this system. The Bible is telling us, look, so choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. The writer of Hebrews again is telling us what's going on in Moses' mind. We don't have any place in the book of Exodus that Moses says, well, I'm making this choice. As a matter of fact, Moses is a little reluctant, not because he doesn't want to deliver the people, but because he has some flaws that he doesn't think he's going to be able. He would never consider himself the candidate that God has chosen, yet he accepts it. Are you with me? So we see, we don't see, we don't have any chapter 5. Moses goes and tells his mother that raised him, the daughter of Pharaoh, I cannot be your son anymore. No, that is not there. No, we do not have a chapter 6 in Exodus that says, I'm, I'm no longer going to enjoy the pleasures of sin in this palace. No, we don't have that. Rather, we have this one incident in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, where Moses makes the cognitive decision, I refuse to be associated and use any ounce of my wealth or my power or my influence to be part of oppressing another human being. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And the writer of Hebrews shows us exactly the way he's thinking. Notice, 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. At that moment, Moses, who was heir to all the riches in Egypt, Moses, who was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, do you realize how much wealth and how much prestige that woman had? Do you have any idea? Is this, we're not just talking about just a, uh, just a man who, ha who had access just in the sense of just being in the palace. We are talking, beloved saints, about an actual inheritance that God, uh, that she could have given given him had he remained are you with me if you are say amen that he chose to relinquish that he chose to give up for the sake of his people and the bible this is why the bible says when he was grown this is why the bible uses the word grown this is why the bible uses the secret of the hebrew word grown which is gadol which means gadol he became great this is the qualification for exaltation into greatness. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And this is why the Bible says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than riches, uh, greater than riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto him. Hallelujah. Unto the recompense of reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. What does that mean? That means. He already knew what the what the option what was going to happen. He didn't make this decision to stand with the people of God and to stand with his brethren and to stand with an unknown slave who has no name. He did not make that decision without knowing the consequences. The scripture is showing us that Moses was very well informed. He knew the consequences that he was going to face. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. But deliberately, he made a very deliberate choice. That's what this whole verse is about. That's what Hebrews is all about. He made a choice by faith. That means he was going to trust God to take care of him. He was going to trust God that the king would not come after him. He was going to trust God for everything in his life. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. So this is why he endured seeing him who is invisible. This is the background by which we are going to give you the scepter today, the scepter of influence. We see in the book of Esther, turn with me to Esther chapter 5. And we're going to look very quickly at 1 and 2, but we are going to look at three attributes of royalty. And we are going to see three attributes of royalty that are associated specifically in certain junctures of the text where we see the term Esther the Queen. Esther the Queen is a very unusual, um, it's a very unusual title for Esther in the sense that it is not used frequently by the author. I want you to understand it is actually used as a literary device. Uh, the author does not continually refer to Esther the Queen, and very deliberately it withholds the title Esther the Queen. And we actually see the difference between Esther the Queen and Queen Esther. When Queen Esther is used, it is usually Ahasuerus that is addressing Esther. But when it is Esther the Queen, it is the narrative, it is the text itself, it is the Bible itself that 
actually identifies Esther as Esther the queen. So the two titles, Queen Esther and Esther the queen, are not the same. One is an earthly title, which is Queen Esther, which is actually associated with her royalty that is Persian. And the other is Esther the queen, which is the royalty that God sees. It is the royalty that the Bible actually identifies her as. The Bible has given her that identity. And the scripture has basically withheld this title so that in the junctures where Esther the queen is used, we can see that there are character traits, attributes of royalty that actually qualify her in the eyes of God to be queen. I want you to know that God can call you to royalty. God is calling his people in this hour to royalty. God is calling his people to come to a place of royalty. I hope you're with me and you understand what I'm talking about today. Let us look. The Bible says we are going to take one out of context so that you can understand what we're speaking about. The Bible says, and it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on royalty. She put on her royal apparel. And she stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his throne royal, his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. Yes, again, we have this superfluity used. Is it really necessary to say house four times in verse one? No, it is not necessary. Yet this, again, is a literary device, and we are going to see that it is consistent with what the author wants to communicate to us concerning what is happening to Esther. First, we see this word royal house, and we see the word house used actually four times in verse 1. Now, we have a run-on sentence. We have something that's not even important at the end of the verse. It says, over against the gate of the king's house. Do we really need to know that she was near the king's gate? Why is this being said? Nothing in the Bible is irrelevant. Nothing in the Bible is just there, so we know it happened. Mordecai, who is the author of this particular portion in the book of Esther, is not just telling us this to fill in pages. This word gate and this word house, notice in verse 1. She is standing, verse 2, she is standing in the inner court. So we have language that identifies Esther as standing in the temple of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel, the 11th chapter, God said to those that are going to be exiled, I will be a little sanctuary to you. What does that mean? I will be a little sanctuary to you. Meaning that when you constrain the presence of God, when you walk in the ways of God, God's presence will overshadow you. Now we see something that is extremely important that I want you to see here. The Bible says, and it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out the golden scepter. 
Are you ready for the king to extend the scepter of influence to you? This is the hour that God is going to be extending the scepter to many of you. The one that you least expected is the one that is going to be elected for purpose in this hour. Hallelujah. The Bible says the king held out the golden scepter that was in his hand. Now watch this. And Esther drew near to touch the top of the scepter. I want you to understand again we have in this language of drawing near, we have the language of the temple. What does it mean to draw near? In the Hebrew language, the word draw near is actually this verb, to draw near. is the word karab. And this word karab is actually a root of another Hebrew word. It is the root of the Hebrew word korban. Can you say this with me? Korban. And the scripture is telling us here that Esther was a korban. What is a korban? A korban is an offering. A korban is a sacrifice. When someone will go and offer an offering unto God in the days of the temple, notice it's temple language, they will bring a korban on Passover. The lambs were called korbanot or anything that is offered to God in the form of sacrifice is a korban. Why is the Bible telling us that Esther is a type of korban? Because when she sacrificed her will to God, when she said, yes, avodity, avodity, if I perish, I perish, God received that as a sacrifice. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. Why does the Bible say she was standing over against the king's gate? What in the world does that have to do with the king extending the scepter? It has everything to do with extending the scepter. Because the Bible is telling us that the gate, if you understand what the Bible refers to when the Bible is referring to the gate, the gate is the entrance by which the glory of God comes in to the earth. I hope somebody hears this. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis in the second chapter in the eighth verse. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. That became the gate of heaven. Notice when Jacob had his dream, he woke up and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And he said, this is the gate of heaven. I want you to understand more importantly, in the book of Ezekiel, the 43rd chapter and the fourth verse, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord entered the house. Notice the word house is used here four times. The glory of the Lord entered the house through the gate whose prospect is toward the east. Ezekiel chapter 43 verse 4. Say it with me. The glory of the Lord entered the house through the gate whose prospect is toward the east. 
So what was Mordecai's objective when he wrote the book of Esther to tell us that Esther was near the gate? The Bible is telling us that through her willingness to offer her life for her people, she brought the glory down. Hallelujah. We are coming into the times that God wants us to learn how to bring heaven down to earth. And the way that we bring heaven down to earth is when we offer sacrifice to God through our lives, through our commitment, through our service, through our love, one for another. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. This word to draw near has a concept. This word, remember, karba, which is related in root to the word korbanot. But what was the purpose of korbanot? Just to kill a bunch of animals? Is that was the purpose? We know that each korban had a purpose behind it, but is it really just for, just to bring these animals to offer bloody sacrifice on the altar? What's going on here? What's the real reason? The reason for a korban is that a korban had the power to bring heaven down to earth. You see, and it still remains. When you say yes to God, when you say, yes, God, I don't really want to go. I don't want to do that. It's too hard. I don't like it. It hurts. I have to give up something. Ouch, I don't want to. But because of love of you, I will do it. That is when we bring heaven down to earth. You see the character trait of royalty. Notice what it is saying. We are realizing, go back, because I shared with you earlier, everywhere you see Esther the queen, you see a character trait of royalty. You see an attribute of royalty. Notice here. The text teaches us in Esther chapter 5, looking at verse 2. The Bible says, and it was so when the king saw Esther the queen. I want you to also see that in verse 1, the Bible says, and when, now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. In the original text, it does not tell us she put on her royal apparel at all. In the original Hebrew, it says, Esther put on royalty. But that is a non-translatable concept in English. So the English translators did their best to translate Hebrew concepts. So it translates, she put on royal apparel. But the Bible doesn't tell us anything about her glistering apparel. And notice there's only one place in the entire narrative that tells us about Esther's beauty. Yet we have made Esther into a beauty queen. We have made a caricature. And we have made the whole entire story of Esther into a fairy tale. Of course, Esther was beautiful because the Bible tells us she was. But that is not why she had the favor. That is not why she delivered her people. And that absolutely, positively, N-O, spells no, is not why she got favor with the king. 
I want you to understand there were character traits, royal attributes that caused the king of heaven to extend his golden scepter to her. And God wants you to know that those same character traits as we develop them in our life, God will extend the scepter to you. I hope somebody's hearing this today. So let us just see this one character trait that the Bible is telling, telling us about. In this particular juncture, going back to Esther chapter 4, we are seeing that this is the character trait of selflessness. Selflessness. Can you say that with me? Selflessness. When someone is selfless, this means that no matter how huge their platform is, the platform is not about them. The platform is because God has given that platform for others. We see this all throughout the Bible. Okay, when we think that the platform is about our grandeur, when we think that the platform is about our greatness, we will never receive the platform. Don't even think about it. But when we understand that there is a responsibility with the platform, now, of course, there are people who receive platforms, but we're talking about the platform from God. We're talking about when the king extends the platform, when he extends the golden scepter. And so we must be able to see in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We see in verse 11. Now, in verse 11, we see a struggle. And it's so good that there's a struggle. Some people say, Esther really disappointed us here. She, she's really on the fence about going in before the king. Notice what the Bible says. This is her response to Mordecai after Mordecai said, you must go before the king and plead for your people. And her response is, all the king's servants of all the uh, and all the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, in unto the king to the inner court who is not called, there is one law but to put them to death except to whom the king shall stretch out his golden scepter that he may live. And I have not been called to the king for 30 days. This is a polite decline. And it's a bit it's a bit disturbing because the Bible has built up Esther up to this point in such selflessness, in humility. For example, in the very first place where we see the term Esther the queen used, we see it within the contextual passage that Esther the queen is being used in Esther chapter 2 uh, in verse 23. But we actually see that in verse 20, the Bible says, And Esther obeyed Mordecai in all things, like as when she was brought up by him. So this tells us that after she became queen, she received, she maintained the equanimity of character that would keep her unchanged. In her humility, she stayed submitted to Mordecai's authority. And this is what is so important. And that is the royal character trait of humility. Because Malkut is actually a combination 
of exaltedness and shiflut, which is humility. It's a different type of humility. It's lowliness. And so we see that she maintained this incredible platform with the ability to stay lowly. How did she do that? Was it just because, wow, she's a lucky girl. She is so blessed. She knows how to be humble, and she knows how to be exalted. Is that what happened to Esther? And the answer to that is no. The answer to that is it takes work. The answer to that is that she had incredible self-scrutiny skills. The, the answer to that is that she, she made sure that she had a spiritual authority in her life that could correct her when she was off. You say, Dr. Corral, come on now. Yes, that's true. That is exactly why her great ancestor Saul did not make it through his destiny because he refused to listen to spiritual authority of Samuel. And so now we have Esther, this incredible position of being the queen of Persia who is now going to be faced with what are you going to do with your platform? Are you going to use your platform for yourself? Are you going to garage? Or are you going to use the platform to deliver other people? Let's look at the text. Notice what Mordecai responds to Esther. Going into verse 13. Mordecai, her spiritual guide. Mordecai, her spiritual authority. Comes to her and says, Think not that you yourself will escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, there will be enlargement and deliverance given to the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, first of all, beloved saints, I want you to see what he's saying. If you... Hold your peace at this time. This word peace is not shalom. He says, if you karash, what does that mean? That means if you're deaf and silent, he is teaching her something. He is saying, this platform is not about you. It's not about anything you want. Did you realize the responsibility when God gave you this platform, this platform has been given to you at this time. Read the script of your life. This platform was given to you at this time not to karash, not to be silent, not to be deaf, but to take action. Let me give you a story, a little, a little story of someone who was so great. Someone who was a very incredible person who was royalty. In 1941, there was a little boy who was born whose name was Eli Melek, and I can barely pronounce the last name, Schmetler. Eli Melek Schmetler born in Belgium, from an extremely observant family. Elimelech, when he was one years old, 
something tragic happened. Because before he was born, 18 months before he was born, the Nazis invaded Belgium. And when Nazis invaded a country, it's all the same. They had a strategy. First, they would invade the country. Then after a short period of time, after taking control of the whole country, they would begin to cast the stars. They were not stars of hope. They were stars of identifying every Jew that would have to wear a star in all of the European countries that Hitler invaded. This would limit any of their privileges and it would give them food rations and begin to confiscate their properties and begin the series of atrocities that would follow the programmatic genocide. And we would see that immediately after that, after they received their stars, then they would be arrested. They would be taken to a prison, and from the prison, they would be deported to a death camp. In 1941, little Ellie Malik Schmittler was only one years old. Not even, excuse me, 1942. It happened in November. 1942, one years old. Can you imagine arresting a one-year-old? But it's true. One year old and his little brother and another brother seven and his mother and father arrested and brought into a prison before they were deported to the concentration camp. And the Jews of Belgium were outraged at what was happening. And so they wrote to the queen. Her name was Elizabeth. Her father, she was actually the daughter of the Duke of Bavaria. Very influential queen. Why is the fact that she's the daughter of the Duke of Bavaria? There are many crown heads in Europe in the 1940s, and they did not have influence with Hitler at all. Watch the hiding place. And you will know that the queen had to shut down all operations under his control. But the daughter of the Duke of Bavaria, who was German, has some influence. Do you know that many crown heads in Europe in the time of the Holocaust or influential ambassadors or influential persons of wealth had a choice they could make. They could either resist Hitler and put their career on the line and their money on the line, or they could courage. They could be silent. Many leaders in the world were silent, did not allow Jews entrance shut the doors, blocked them out, and did not stand with those who had no voice. And so this queen 
actually wrote to Adolf Hitler with a plan. And she said, please, I'm sure she wrote it in German, please, I'm asking and requesting from our royal family in Bavaria that you would please allow the Jews in Belgium that have citizenship and passports to Belgium to not be taken to the camps and arrested. That they will not be arrested. Days after she sent the letter, the reply came from Berlin. Adolf Hitler gave the law that the Jews that were arrested, that were citizens, could be released. And that those who were citizens in Belgium that were Jews did not need to get arrested. However, it only lasted a year. Hitler totally reneged and handled the Jews the way he handled every Jew in Europe. But Ellie Schoenberg, little Ellie Malik, was released from the prison because someone used their influence. Someone used their influence. Someone was selfless enough to not say, what if I lose my power? What if I lose my name? What if I lose my wealth? What if he comes and confiscates and calls me a Jew lover? What if he does what he does? He's already taken over this country. She did not care. She used every ounce of power that was given to her to release the people of God. This is what it means. You see, right now we're in training. I'm giving you workshops. And we're going to keep having these workshops because I know what's coming. God is getting ready to open doors of destiny for the church, and the church better be ready for their miraculous moment with destiny. You better be ready on your job for promotion. You better be ready in your career for promotion. You better be ready to know why God is going to do it. It's not about you. It's about God allowing you to be in a place so that you can use the scepter of influence to help others. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. 
you are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.